each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. Compass Group is a global food service giant that serves 5.5 billion meals a year at schools and college campuses, hospitals, stadiums, and corporate cafeterias. The scale, particularly in the US and the UK, gives Compass enormous influence in the food supply chain, from farm to fork to disposal. Today, they are on a mission to reduce the company's climate impact by shifting to more plant-based meals and slashing food waste. And boy, are they seeing success. So, you know, Compass, we're extremely decentralized on purpose. And I think that's why we're able to be the world's largest is because we really pride ourselves on being local and having a customized approach in every single one of our offerings. Amy Keister is the Global Director of Sustainability at Compass Group. She leads a visionary team shaping the future of food service, focusing on business growth and leveraging strategic partnerships to create positive change throughout the food system. She helped to shape the company's net zero strategy, which includes actionable targets that will positively impact people and planet, drive growth and future-proof the business. Amy is also a founding member of the Stop Food Waste Day, the largest single day of action in the fight against food waste. On today's episode, you'll hear more about how Stop Food Waste Day went from an idea to a global day of action, how education plays a role in scaling food waste solutions, and Amy's formula for influencing and building chains. Here's my interview with Compass Group's Amy Kister. Sustainability is something I've always been personally interested in and very passionate from how I've grown up. And so it was always one that I was like, oh, I'll take that, I'll take that. And what's just been really exciting is right before COVID um, made the decision, which I must say was a bit scary because we do very well in selling beverages and snacks, giving up that aspect of looking at that strategy and going all in on our sustainability efforts. And it's really proven to be an amazing opportunity for Compass as well as myself professionally as it's just grown. Um, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you, Michael, and working with you and your incredible team with your lofty goals and seeing how food plays such an important role when it comes to sustainability, looking at food waste, looking at reducing plastics, looking about net zero. It's really that partnership and collaboration. So by going all in on sustainability allowed me to really work closer with 
clients that are passionate to go bolder and also work with the group team, which is now where I'm sitting, on setting our ambitious um, net zero commitments where across the globe will be net zero by 2050, but in the UK will be there by 2030 and France 2040. And so it's really exciting that sustainability has become a key business driver. Um, I think we all knew it was the right thing for planet, but it's really the right thing for business as it's become a great tool for talent retention, for recruitment, and it's really just a profitable way to do business. And so it's, it's been very exciting to see that journey at Compass and very rewarding personally being able to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, I've come across individuals in sustainability roles who are absolutely what I would call purist believers. It's the thing that they can only work on is saving the planet. Then there are others who just say, you know, it's just an interesting subject. I like the complexity. There are individuals who just roll into it. Where do you find yourself on that continuum? Um, great question. Great question. So I would say um, anyone who's spent any time with me knows I'm extremely passionate about it, but I think I'm also very realistic. So I'd say a passionate realist when it comes to sustainability. And I think that if just having that purest mindset, you're missing a lot of opportunity. I was just talking earlier about this, that there is no one answer. And so we can't just be so rigid that it's not 100% perfect unless we do all of it right. You're missing so much other momentum that could be happening. And so our view on it is we need to try lots of things, see what's really going to scale, and then go big with those areas, although focusing on what is our core to our business. So, you know, we're going to focus on food. Food waste makes tons of sense. You know, education, guess on how to eat better, just being aware of simple changes people can make. And any little change we make at our scale is massive. And so that's where I think that realist and really understanding that it's okay if it's not perfect, but if you're going in the right direction with lots of momentum, you're going to make some great change. In the context of this series of the podcast, I'm actually very focused on hearing more about food loss and waste initiatives and goals. So my first question in that context is, what are your organization's goals with regards to food loss and waste? And I'll tell you my follow-up question. Why those and why not less or why not more? Excellent. So our goal is um, we aligned with the UN Sustainability Development Goals. So that's the why. Um, we think it's really, really important because sustainability can mean everything to anyone. We want to make sure that we're following the North Star and to us, that's the UN Sustainability Goals. So that's the 50% reduction by 2030. We want to go bolder and bigger and faster, which we hope to, but I figured our alignment will be across all 44 countries, which tens of thousands of kitchens across the globe, that's the right place to be. However, with clients such as yourself, we're going to hit that goal a whole lot quicker. And then with the learnings from what we're able to accomplish together, we're going to apply that at scale across the business. So we anticipate it being a lot faster. But we think it's important to set the goals that are in alignment on what kind of, to us, the world decided was important. Can I dig a little deeper? And I would pose the same question to myself as well. The two variables are the 50% and 2030. So the question I always struggle with, is it that we individually and jointly believe 
that there's so much work to be done, it's going to take us until 2030? Or can we get it done in 2028? And then how did we end up on 50? And why not 60%? And obviously those two are tied together. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is nuanced. And so I think sooner is achievable. And I think that the issue was when the goals were set, it was what, 2017, 20, you know, we didn't know much. And that's one of the beautiful things about being in the sustainability realm is every day you're learning five new things. And so first and foremost is you need a really robust baseline. And so that's where our focus is getting our tools. And we're not particular as to what tool you guys are using LeanPath. It's absolutely fantastic. We've developed our own tool, WasteNot 2.0 that works. There's Winnow. There's countless tools. Get a tool that works for your business and measure now is the messaging. And I think that the reasoning of the date and then on the goals is once we now have at scale measurement in place, we'll be able to say, you know what, it really needs to be 65% or you know what, maybe it needs to be 32%. I mean, obviously we're not going to go backward, but like, I think that it was more of a, let's put a target out there. And then once you get people behind it, then we can start measuring it and doing better. And so the focus for now is really just getting those tools in place. So we get a solid baseline, getting, you know, tens and thousands of kitchens to be recording properly, regularly isn't the easiest thing to do. So I'd almost say getting everybody on board is the biggest first step. And so once you have that, I think that the results are gonna come immediately. Currently right now we have about 2,600 kitchens recording in 28 countries. And we saw a 28% reduction year over year. The 50 is gonna come. It's just for us, we wanna make sure that it's across all of our business. And so we need to get those tools in place first. And then and I think the follow-up complex question is, how are incentives for all your operators aligned with the achievement of the goal? And then I think it's a similar to, have you broken out the goal to 2030 into the goal that you have either for a site or for a region or for a country or for a line of business per year in order to avoid like 2030 years away from now? And I will be retired by the time. So why would I worry it's today? Yes. So, you know, Compass, we're extremely decentralized on purpose. And I think that's why we're able to be the world's largest is because we really pride ourselves on being local and having a customized approach in every single one of our offerings. And so with that, for us looking at how we're going to hit the goal, you need a tool. And so the incentive right now that we have for our executive leadership, which I think is crucial. So at the board level is that we need to have so many accounts measuring food waste by the end of the year. And that's now tied to their compensation. And I think once you have that, the rest will trickle in. And then our approach at Compass is then not to set specific goals, but it will be, we're competitive. And so now you have the regions competing. So they all have their targets of what they need to hit for the deployments, and really leaving it up to the regions and the countries. And then even within country by sector, to say, here's the KPI. And so we do find it most effective when our operators are KPI'd. But again, it's best if that's set at that more local regional level. And so we've set what we can control at the top. That's very important to us. And so then it will be trickling down. And so that's, you know, I think how a lot of momentum happens. And then there's best practice sharing. So in two weeks, we're going to be launching our very first ever global culinary council webinar. And the whole focus is on food waste because 
you can learn across the globe. It's not like food waste is completely different, you know, in different regions. There might be more nuances with the consumer behavior, but as far as how we manage it in the kitchens, there's so many learnings. And so we're having chefs from across the globe share the tools that they're using. Again, showing it doesn't matter the tool, use it. And then what are the tips and tricks and how are they deploying it? How are they motivating? And I think it's going to be very impactful hearing from culinary leaders talking about this. And that's the thing that we find very important. One, you need your executive buy-in, which thankfully we have, but the voice of it, it can't be me. It needs to be our culinary. It needs to be our chefs. That's who is respected and who's going to get the momentum happening. And so giving them the platform to be the voice of it has proven to be most successful. Right. So Amy, I have to ask you the question. What is your why behind your efforts around food loss and waste? My why started at a very young age from my grandmother. So I'm very fortunate. My grandmother is still alive and well and healthy, almost 107. And her growing up in the Great Depression, there's no food ever wasted in her home. I mean, there's a little slice of cake. It goes in a baggie and gets in the freezer in case she wants it later. I mean, she's the ultimate food waste warrior. And so seeing how thrifty and how much she valued food was really instilled in us at a young age. And when I grew up, we we didn't have a lot of land, but we acted like we did where it was, you know, we canned vegetables, we raised animals, we really, you know, home cooked everything from scratch. And so really valued where food came from and just that food is precious. And so I'm really, really fortunate to be able to work in a role to where a personal passion can actually be something that's contributing to a key driver of the world's largest food service organization. So you've spoken a little bit about what you're doing in your organization. And I think is what I hear. It's predominantly heart of house, back of house, whatever term you use. But then you have the impact of the consumer as well. And I'm just interested in a little bit more from you, how you are bringing clients along who say it's really, really important. But the moment somebody complains because you no longer have a full buffet or a full setup at two o'clock, then hell break loose and you're being placed in this position to try to solve the impossible, maintaining availability, and at the same time, reducing your ultimate food loss and waste. How does that work out for you? Yes. Back six, seven years ago, we decided that the education was crucial. Because again, even if you look at the numbers from refed, what is it typically 30, 40% back of house, 60, you know, is more on the consumer side. And so we're not going to hit the 50% if we're just focusing on ourselves too. And one thing that's great with Compass, as I mentioned, most people have probably eaten with us. And so we touch a lot of people and people trust chefs in a culture to where how many people are trusted? Um, and there's a lot of skeptics. People are all still luckily behind their chefs. And so we figured if we could utilize our scale and our passion and talent and expertise of our chefs, we created what we call Stop Food Waste Day. So it's the last Wednesday of April. Um, it's April 26th this year. And it was all about driving awareness. And we had it front and center with our chefs in cafe. We did a massive movement on social media the first year as well. And it's most people aren't aware that wasting food has such a massive impact on global warming. 
if food waste was a country, it'd be the third greatest emitter of greenhouse gases. And so it's really, really imperative that we stop wasting food for the global warming aspect. Also, it's just people are hungry all over the world and also the amount of water and effort that goes into it and then just to throw it away. And so I don't think people were aware, especially back then when we started this event, about why reducing food waste matters. And then again, a, you know, a family of four can save 1500 bucks a year, which is significant. And we were able to leverage the chefs and leverage our access to folks to just start bringing awareness. Stop Food Waste Day. It's easy. It's telling you what it is in the title. And it's just simple tips and tricks. And so by bringing the awareness is how we were able to start then getting clients excited. And it's branded in a way. And even if you go to stopfoodwasteday.com, it's not compass so that anyone can partake. So if, you know, a client wants to get all behind it, it's a beautiful campaign that can be run and colleges can do it. You know, all over the place, people can get behind it and it's very simple and there's tons of tools in place so it can just be kind of plug and play. And I think the more you talk to people, it's kind of easy to educate. It's not like going net zero and explaining scope one, two, and three where it's more complicated. It's relatively easy. Take what you can eat utilize your leftovers, you know, shop with a list. And there's just simple things that people can do. And it really will scale up for some pretty massive change. Then there's the fun stuff, Michael, me and you get to work on where we get, you know, industry leaders together to be like, all right, how do we stop food waste and loss on farms and, you know, throughout the supply chain. But I think if consumers just make small changes in their daily practices, that's going to help us significantly. Got it. And then if you think about user, customer, consumer engagement, do you see differences in different cohorts? So is, for example, the youngest generation more focused on this than the older generation? It's the other way around. Are there specific segments of your business where you can say you cannot do enough fast enough? And then there are segments from, well, if it's tomorrow, it's going to be okay as well. I would say with other sustainability issues, it's more segmented. Luckily, food waste just kind of becomes a no-brainer with most folks, as long as it doesn't override too much convenience. So I would say that convenience is where a lot of food waste happens because, you know, I'll use a working mom, you're exhausted, you come home, you buy too much groceries, you don't have time to cook it, and then you just get the takeout. And so it's teaching folks and educating folks on how they can be more resourceful and so that it's no longer an inconvenience and that it actually can save time and save money is how you're going to win over most people. But as far as you don't have to change your diet, which is great. It's not like we're you know looking for people to eat low carbon or something. We're just saying, just take what you're going to eat. There hasn't really been a whole lot of issues that way. What we did find, though, is that the style of service matters. And so when it's a buffet and people can kind of put as much as they want, we've all been there. You get really excited and you're like, oh, I need two desserts and I need this. You would never eat that much food typically, and you're not going to be able to finish it. So when we can, for our end, do more batch cooking, cook to order. I mean, technology has been a great one when we're doing the pre-order. So when people order on their app, we are producing exactly the amount, right amount of food and so the waste has gone down significantly. And that's another one where you're making it easy for folks because they can just pre-order, come down, grab their food and go. 
and it's much less waste on our point. So by changing the services and stuff, I'd say more so than that regions of the countries or demographics are more wasteful or less wasteful than others. Yeah. Very helpful, very insightful. I want to go back to what you said earlier about being holistic and don't be a purist. So if I can expand that a little bit more. So, so far, we've talked specifically about food waste, but I dare to venture that in your role, you probably have more sustainability subjects as well. So first question is, so from what else are you working on in the world of sustainability? And then the second one is, how do you bring potentially silos together and really show up with an integrated sustainability approach? Great question. It needs to be integrated. I would say it has to be integrated. It can't be in silos. So I would say what else we're working on is our overarching net zero commitment. And so kind of overly simplifying, which I think is important, we kind of found maybe three to four key pillars. So the first is reducing food waste. The second is working on re-engineering our menus. The third is we need to collaborate with suppliers. We can't menu our way out of this. And then the last one is it's the storytelling, but it's also the changing behavior. And so how can we educate to kind of, you know, we're going to have to change behaviors if we're going to be hitting these ambitious targets. And I think it's crucial and kind of back on how you influence is you can't have everybody who just thinks like you talking because you're not going to get anywhere. And so what I think is helpful. So even if we want to take any of these pillars, but say we take the suppliers, I think it's crucial that you're hearing from very large suppliers, what their challenges might be, but you're also having them in the same room with startups that are lean and nimble and going all in and completely pure with their offering. And so you need both and then you need them to be sharing ideas. And so hopefully maybe they can acquire and scale them, or it can be enough of a enough little startups that are making the big guys think we really need to change our ways, you know? And so you need different thoughts at the table and you need it to be integrated. And so that people need to understand how it all ladders up. So it's like our North Star is reducing our carbon and then knowing how the individual lanes play into it. But there's a great company called Do Good Foods with food waste. So by taking food that would have gone to landfill and making it into animal feed and feeding it to the chicken, you're reducing food waste, but it's also lower carbon because you're not having to use the land used to raise feed. And so when you can kind of hit things that hit multiple buckets, and it also helps with menu engineering because you can still give people a delicious piece of chicken. You're not having to train them to become a vegetarian. I think those are when you hit those wins, but sometimes it can't go across all avenues. But I think it's, you need the differences of opinions you need people to have clear direction. You can't have scattered brain of a thousand different goals. And then I kind of look at it as my job is to let the experts run as fast as they can and just kind of get the noise out of the way for them so that they can be laser focused on delivering and that we need to talk to people that don't think like us. Got it. An element I'm picking up in the conversation, Amy, is your willingness, maybe even eagerness to find the person on the opposite side of an issue. And I don't think it is natural for many of us. So I'm curious whether you believe that you were born with that capability or have you learned in your career the hard way that the approach you're not following actually is so much more effective? 
I now need to think back. I, I think it's a, a both, but I would say it wasn't my career. I'd say it was my family. So I'm the oldest of four. And it's really interesting. Everyone's very opinionated and we do not think alike. And so dinner conversations are absolutely fantastic. And I love getting my brothers and sisters and my dad and mom and, you know, just people's different feelings and just thoughts on an issue. Because as I mentioned, once you know where people are coming from, everything else changes. And it was a great way to learn it in a family setting because obviously there's so much love. And back then it wasn't as polarizing. And so you can, you know, disagree and still have a great time after dinner together. So I think part of it's natural. And then part of it was just maybe just the family dynamic. And I I think I am an empathetic person as well. And so I think that's kind of crucial in if you're trying to create change, because again, I really don't think people want to do the wrong thing. And you just need to understand where is it that they're coming from. And a lot of times what they might initially be saying isn't really the underlying reason. And if you can kind of go there, then you can find a common ground typically. I love the last one. There are, I think, tensions or polarities in the system. And you know that our organization is really interesting as well in eliminating single-use plastics. But the use of plastics might at time ultimately extend the life of a food product. How do you deal with that in your organization? Because I'm sure there are a lot of, let's call them pragmatists out there to say, you know, totally love what you're asking me to do, Amy. But here are the three reasons why I actually think that it's better to do X, Y, and Z. How do you deal with that tension? Yes. And it's real. Um, And so I think that first, just listen, what are the three things and make sure you really are listening. You're not just, oh, I know they're just going to complain. And, you know, they're just saying it. No, really listen and ask questions and understand it. And if you're really going into it with an open mindset, you'll probably be able to meet in the middle. And that's where I say I'm more of a realist in it because it's okay if we can't eliminate all the plastics. You know, where can we meet? And if we can just make progress along the way, I'll take that over no one doing anything and we're being at a stalemate. And so I think that by understanding where people are coming from, it might not have anything to do with the issue. It could be completely something different. And then you're like, ah, oh, all right, they're, they're more concerned because of this aspect. Now you know. I would say on the plastics, I mean, obviously food safety is by far our number one, and I know yours as well, you know, focus. And so we will never, ever do anything that's going to jeopardize food safety. Um, But there are things that we can do collectively in the industry to eliminate unnecessary single-use plastics, for sure. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Got it. So what did it take for you or in your organization to go from where you were? to really embracing the challenge and ultimately figuring out a way to get going. So that's where I think going back to your question on where I sit, if you're a purist, to get everyone on board, it can't just be because it's good for the planet. And so I think really tying it back to commercial benefits is crucial. And so when it comes to reducing food waste, I mean, you're throwing, you know, your money in the trash. And so that is something that everyone can kind of get their hands around. And so what's been very helpful is food costs more today than it did even a year ago. And so teaching people, if you really want to manage your margins, you want to mitigate inflation, 
do this at home and then also do it in your kitchens is if you're just more mindful of what food's going into the trash, you know, and if you can lessen that, that's your inflation. And so by tying it back to a business incentive, I think is really, really powerful. And then the other reason that I think can really help this mind shift is clients such as yourself. And so you're leading and you're looking for other partners who are going to be authentic leaders with you on this journey, not people who are just sitting on a podcast talking to you about all these great things, but we're not actually executing it. And so we pride ourselves on our growth at Compass. I mean, our growth rate the past three years has been absolutely phenomenal, greater than all expectations. And we're anticipating that to continue. And how we've been able to position that is I really believe it's not only the sustainability, but the sustainability is a key driver. So again, even if you're a naysayer, not saying our leadership is, but if you look at it as it's a key contributor to growth, it's hard to argue with. And so I think it's important that you're not just focusing on single-minded benefits and that you're appealing to multiple benefits. And that's how you're really going to bring everybody along on the journey, which is crucial because it can't just be the diehards and the purists that are leading all the change here. Thank you for sharing that. And that actually reminds me of, you have a relatively small team in a very large organization. So as we're talking about ultimately leading change, creating impact, what are some of your learnings in how you can be small but mighty team and actually getting a very large organization that is busy, you know, or a lot of changes? How do you bring a large organization along from what is it that you believe is worthwhile sharing with others who are thinking through how can I make impact in this space? So I think the first is you need to be passionate and you have to believe in it yourself. If you're just doing this because it's one more thing to do, people are going to see through it. But if you come to it with, we got this, we can do it, and just that energy, I think it's better to influence when you have a smaller team. Because to me, that's how you create meaningful change because people are actually doing the change as opposed to my team just is doing all the work. And that's not how you influence anything. And so I would say tips on kind of influencing and creating it is have the passion, understand the why. And the why is going to be different for so many folks. And so you need to give them the why that works for them. And so it's all about customizing your messaging and um, making sure that people can resonate. And so for some, it could be, you know, this will help leave the world a better place for your children. And that's enough to be like, wow. Others, it might be, you know, this is a great way to manage your margins or, you know, what clients are really interested. So really flexing that why and making sure that you're talking the, the same language. One size does not fit all when it comes to this. And then I always find you kind of want to make best friends with the people who are the loudest complainers. And so it's like, whoever is complaining the most is the person I want to sit with. And really, again, kind of going back to understanding what is the resistance here? And if you can win over, especially if they're an influential person who's resisting it, that's all you need. You know what I mean? And it's like, if you can get, you know, negative Nancy on board. And then the last is you can't have an ego. And so it can't be Amy's initiative. This needs to be led by, I mentioned the chefs. It's so important. Who's the respected person in your organization or group and let them be the voice. And then if you can just kind of be, you know, whispering in the ears and encouraging them. And that's the thing too, is celebrate the successes. I mean, you really want to highlight folks when they're doing great and 
know it's not going to be easy and know that it's not like the first time you try, you're going to hit a home run, but just keep at it. Because again, back to that passion and customize that message and then went over your naysayers. And I think that formula works in, in anything when you're trying to really influence and build change and just meet people where they are and help push them a little bit along the way. Heard it loud and clear. Thank you so much for the conversation today and sharing all those interesting insights. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for just being my inspiration and just a great partner. So I've learned so much from you, Michael. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about the Stop Food Waste Day and Compass Group's other sustainability initiatives, visit the link in our show notes. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, like and subscribe to our podcast at foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions towards a better food system for us all. See you next time.